Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. So today the topic is, do we ever consider the cost to men? So I talk about women's issues quite often, and I even talk about women's issues as concerns in relation to men. So how, for example, I've spoken about modesty and rape culture and how we have to realize that sometimes we can't force men to be the way we want them to be and we have to realize some of the natural interactions that take take place between men and women and that if we change as women we can't automatically assume that men will also change but what I want to do in this podcast today is to talk about the cost to men from a male perspective so when things when we ask for change to benefit women do we ever consider the cost to men so i'm going to go through a few examples inshallah ta'ala first and foremost is the workplace so i'm sure that some of you heard of the google memo that got the young man fired who put out this memo to talk about gender differences i did not read the memo all I know is from people who read the, the memo and people whose opinions that I trust is that it was much ado about nothing. Now I'll say, pointing out gender differences or cultural differences and passing this out as a memo in your workplace should be obvious to anyone that that's a bad idea. So I certainly don't defend him in terms of getting fired. If I was a company, I'd probably fire him too because it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good, whether it's true or not. The question would be more about is it appropriate in that format in the workplace, in a private conversation, in a even in a conversation with colleagues who wanted to have that conversation, but to send that out to the company doesn't doesn't really look appropriate. So I'm definitely not um, defending him on that front. However, the biological differences that he pointed out, and again, I didn't read that memo specifically, so I'm talking about biological differences in general. If he pointed out real biological differences, we do have to ask ourselves when it comes to the workplace. For example, if we're saying that women are not as competitive as men, now that that to me it's true in the sense that there are some biological factors in competitiveness that more gear towards men's favor for example testosterone aggression and all of that however women who choose certain fields where they know there has to be competition often can rise up to that career field just as men who choose work uh, work environments that where care is most prominent, they can rise up to that level. So that's an individual thing. But in general, women steer away from competition. We more so aim to please and to get along. Now, how does this come into conflict is when we as women find ourselves in the workplace that we have this nature about ourselves with so many refuse to acknowledge, but we see it in the results or rather in what women are asking for and that we're asking for more flex time. We're asking for childcare. We're asking to be 
to have a year off or so when um, our children are born. We're asking for more flexibility in the workplace. And flexibility inherently means not competitive. Now, granted, there are other ways to be successful. There are other ways to complete your workload. But flexibility does inherently mean not competitive. For example, there was a, a feminist group that was calling for an end to overtime. Because a lot of women weren't taking overtime in general. So there was a study from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that showed that women worked less than men outside the home and men worked less than women inside the home. Not a big surprise, but um, these days the, the obvious becomes interesting. So some feminist group were actually recommending that there not be overtime. Now we may think, okay, well, this is good for women because women aren't taking advantage of this, so why don't we just even the playing field, no overtime for anyone, and then we won't see this gender discrepancy. But what we don't ask is, what is the cost to men? When women try to feminize the workplace, what does that do to men? Now they are in a feminine, feminized environment that they may not be um, as successful in or as likely to succeed in. So at first we're thinking, well, who cares? You know, if the if the environment is masculinized then or masculine, then women will have a harder time succeeding. So who cares if it, now it's feminine and men have a harder time succeeding? Now they just are going through what we went through. Granted, that's true and that's fair when you have the attitude of competition of men versus women, which is what, of course, it often becomes in the workplace. But this becomes a problem when women are looking for mates because those same women who are competing with men in the work field, and again, when I say competing, women are not as competitive to men. So what do we actually end up doing? We try to feminize the workplace so that it works more in our favor. So that is a way in which we compete without being competitive. So when we feminize the workplace, when we make it more difficult for men to succeed, then we may think, oh, well, you know, they it was difficult for us to succeed before. Now they just have to work on, on our in our environment. The problem becomes when we are now looking for mates. So there are so many women who feel that there just aren't any good men around. Where are the good men? Where are the hardworking men? Where are the successful men? There are women with one, two degrees, and they have a great job, and they've traveled, and they're this, and they're that, and they can't find a man to match them. And what we don't realize is that those same men in those work environments that we try to feminize to work more in our favor, or those work environments where they purposefully pushed women above ahead of men because of perceived past discrimination, where they purposefully tried to favor women, those were the same men that later on you're looking through and saying where are the good men to marry. Also what we have to realize, and this is a really good point that um, Karen Strogan brought up. If you can watch this video, it's very good. 
men not marrying, how deep does the problem go? Men have to have a reason. I mean, this should be obvious, but men have to have a reason for what they're doing. So, for example, if a man is working and he's trying to work for status and he's trying to work to create a name for himself, the harder that becomes, the less likely he is to go out and try to do that thing. And especially now that there are more women in the workplace, then if women can do it too, if it's not something special that men in particular do, it loses its value. So we're going to see men not working as hard to fulfill their their role as quote-unquote breadwinner, or not even breadwinner yet, pre-marriage, just the idea of working towards being a breadwinner. Because think about it, before a man working, before marriage would have been working so that he can establish himself, so that he can attract the best woman and have children. But now, since that goal is less clear, then they become less determined to work as hard. They become more willing to stay at home, to not get an apartment of their own, to play video games, to just make enough money to pay an apartment if they live on their own. And not as determined because there's nothing really on the other side. There was this really good article, I think it was in the Federalist, by a woman. It, it may sound silly, but she was saying that if women want men to succeed, we may have to cover up. Now you may think, okay, again, we think sometimes these things aren't related. Uh, so feminists will go out and they say women should be able to wear whatever they want to wear and it does, shouldn't matter to men and we shouldn't be harassed, etc. But we have to think about the fact that in the past, a man couldn't see a woman naked. He couldn't have intimacy with her unless he was married. And so in order to be married, he had to have some level of success in his life to attract a woman who would want to link herself to him. But now because of the sexual revolution, because women are told they should dress however they want to dress, then men can have, can take a lot from women without having to do anything to earn it. So a man can be a bum, he can play video games all day, he can live in his parents' house, he can not work very hard in, in his career, and he can still be intimate with a woman. So all of these things that women have stripped away from ourselves we forget that actions have have an impact. Actions have consequences. One woman that I really enjoy listening to her talking, though I probably don't agree with 90% of what she says, but I enjoy listening to her talks, Camille Paglia, because she realizes that actions have consequences. Something that has become almost um, abnormal or illogical in our modern times but that actions have clear consequences. If women do X, men will do Y. We are in direct connection, relationship with each other. And unfortunately, as it seems, the more that women succeed in male-dominant fields, the more you're going to see men who we categorize as bums or do-nothing men or, or men who are unsuitable for marriage because they can't really find their place in the world. Women, as reductionist as this may sound, 
women are born with an inherent value. And what is that? We have wombs. We can produce the next generation. And we all know that as women, we can take care of ourselves. If there was an all-women village with children and no men, you know, whatever, the men just came and, and impregnated women and then left, we all know that women would survive and we'd have an inherent value just from being able to give birth to future generations. Men, however, go out to seek their value and are rewarded by women partly because evolutionary, uh, if you look at the evolutionary aspect, then women, if we are having the children, since we are having the children, then it is of more value if we can have men in our lives who are there to protect us and provide for us and have that worry off of our plate, which is so unfortunate that women today, and I suppose for the past almost 50 years now, since the 70s, have devalued that aspect of men and manhood in our society and have suffered from it. So because women, <coughs> excuse me, because women want to have it all, men have less. And it's an interesting thing because, again, we don't realize that these things are all in connection. So if the woman is working, she's having the children, she's raising the children, she can do everything and then we wonder why the men aren't doing the same. Well, we've taken so much away from him. We have to remember that men were thought of as having it all. And so women thought, well, we want to have it all too. We want to go out and work and have a family too, etc. And what we forgot or didn't realize as women is that the only reason men had it all was because of women. The only reason men could be able to work and have a wife and a family is because and be married and have a family is because of women. Is because women were completely taking care of the home front. And so he had a reason to get up every morning and work and be able to have it all because he knew he had a support system to come home to. He knew that he would get home and there'd be warm food on the table, there'd be a clean house, there'd be children of his that were being taken care of. Whereas now, men don't have those same things to look forward to. Now granted, on a personal level, marriage can still be fulfilling for a myriad of reasons. But those basic, um, those basic benefits of marriage have really been lost to men. Women still have, um, I suppose, the extra support for our children, but men have lost out on a lot. And so on the flip side, we may say, oh, well, aren't men benefiting from women doing it all and having it all? And some men are fine to take advantage of it, but this is exactly almost the point, is that men are benefiting, but they're also not benefiting. So what I mean by that is that Men may think they're benefiting from being able to sleep with whoever they want and play video games all day and and have less responsibility and not work as much because their wife is working if they're married and still have a wife to depend on that will do most of the child rearing and etc. But in reality, these men are not living to their highest potential. 
they are not ever going to really succeed in life because they have nothing to look forward to. Women inherently, again, as reductionist as this may sound, have the value of motherhood. But what is the value of a man in fatherhood? What is the value of that? The value is that he's able to take care of his wife and children financially. Yes, it's valuable for men to play with their children and have story time and reading, and that's valuable, of course. But we're talking about an inherent, distinct value that men bring to the table. And because women have decided we're going to have it all and do it all, we've really stripped men away from everything that was inherently theirs. And then we turn around and wonder, where are all the real men? Where are all the good men? Well, if you take everything from them, there is nothing left for them to be, to live up to. There's no role for them to fill. And so they're left in this lost space of the internet and video games and not really knowing what to do with their life because they don't have a societal pressure to step up and be men and you can't you can in a sense you can shame a man into visiting his children you can shame him into uh paying child support but the higher levels of manhood and fatherhood of taking care of a wife and family wife and children is not ever going to be reached by a man who doesn't feel like he's needed. If he doesn't feel needed in that role, he's only going to do the bare minimum. This is why women have to chase after men for child support. Because you can't tell a man you don't need him and then expect him to step up to the plate. It just doesn't work that way for men. And unfortunately, we've spent we've assumed that we understood men and then we spent so much time trying to understand women. But in reality, we don't understand that. We haven't taken enough time to understand men. And in reality, we also haven't considered them and haven't really cared much because we viewed men as they have the power, they are the patriarchy, and we want to take back the power from them. Not realizing that we are in this constant dynamic between men and women. What we do affects them. So because women, many of us, want to marry, we have to consider what kind of men we're creating by going after everything and being everything and taking over all the roles and leaving nothing distinct for him. Because again, we have, whether we like it or not, we have the distinction inherently of motherhood. We have that pure distinction. Men don't have anything so inherent they have to go after it and you see this in in psychology what does Freud tell us that boys go through a period where they must separate themselves in order to create their identity and what they mistakenly assumed is that women do this too or they didn't really assume that but it kind of is presented that way in psychology at least on lower level courses but in reality, Freud knew, Eric Erickson knew, all of these other big name uh, stage, stage theory psychologists knew that men and women don't work the same way. Men must go out and seek their identity, which is why when you see all of these superhero movies, and not only superhero movies, different movies, where men have to go out on a journey and somehow seek their identity with a man goes out or and he finds the princess or he goes out and however he discovers himself 
And then the feminists will say, well, where are the women's movies like that? But in reality, that just isn't, an, that would not be as accurate a portrayal of women as it is for men. Because women have, men have to find their identity. Whereas women already have our roles and our and identity built into us. Our biology is so much more valuable to us than for men. We mark our lives by our period, by our, by childbirth, by menopause. These are three very distinct features in a woman's life. And the man's biology is not as, doesn't have as much distinction for him in his role. He has to go out and seek it. Fatherhood, being a husband, being uh, successful in his, in his career. But if all of these things are taken away from him, if he's not needed as a father and he's not needed as a husband and he's not valuable as a worker, well then what do we expect to see but men who aren't rising up to the level of manhood? So this change hurts us as women and it obviously hurts men as well, even if they don't see it, even if they think they're blissful and happy being a uh, man-child. When you're not living up to your highest potential, you're not truly happy. And men are, very often in Western society, are not being able to live up to their full potential because women, we've invaded their spaces. So is there a resolution to this? I'll be honest, I don't know. And I don't know because you can't simply say all this feminization of the workplace is just horrible. Let's just go back to the way things were. You can't really say that because as long as there are men and women in the workplace, you have to accommodate for both. Now, for me, because I'm not afraid of pointing out the differences in biology, I would be happy to say if I owned a company, if this is even legal, it probably isn't, that there are different policies for men and women because men and women work differently because men like competition and women don't. So why should I change the workplace so that it's just about competition or change the workplace so that it's just about getting along? Why can't I view men differently from women? Or at the very least, maybe it's more politically correct to say view individuals differently instead of just giving everyone the same blanket... Um, what would you call that? Basically the same blanket way of reviewing their work, of saying, okay, if you stay 10 hours every day instead of just the eight, then you are a better worker. Or say, well, because you get along with everyone, then you are a better worker. But actually realizing that these different qualities are have a different level of importance to men and to women and should both be rewarded in their own way. But the reason why I still say there's, I can't really think of any resolution even though I just gave one is because that probably isn't even legal and because we live in a society where it's not okay to point out the differences between men and women biologically and or in general, but especially biologically. And so outside of the workplace, I would say to women, and it's very difficult for us because we've been trained to go out and, and get our bachelor's and our master's and maybe even our doctorate and to travel and to get the great job and to do this and get our own apartment. And we've been trained to do it all, to try and do it all. 
And then when we go out and find men, try and find our mates that we want to marry, very often we don't find those men. So what I would say to women and to myself is that at least when it comes to marriage, there are things you have to be willing to put aside to give up because of the reality of today's society. So for me, and being a Muslim, the man is the breadwinner. There's no doubt about it. But as women of today, I think we have one of two choices. We either say that we are going to live within our husband's means. That means if we were used to making $80,000 a year, and he makes $30,000 a year, that we have to adjust within his lifestyle. Or we say we're going to do this as a team, we're going to combine our money, and we're going to live a $100,000 lifestyle. Now, both are fine options, but the issue that I see with the latter option is that if you want a man to be a man, you have to let him be a man. So if you are making a larger portion of, of uh, the income, if you are paying a larger portion of the bills, you're not going to get the man that you want if you want a man who's a man and takes charge and is a leader. Because either he's going to try to do that, but you're going to be frustrated and think, who is he to tell me what to do? I pay most of the bills around here. Or he's not going to be able to do that because he is very well aware that you pay most of the bills and are taking most of the charge in the uh, financial role in the marriage. So, but on the other hand, it's also difficult to live within a $30,000 lifestyle if you're used to an $80,000 lifestyle. And that's why for me to avoid all of these issues, inshallah ta'ala, if Allah blesses me with a daughter, I want her to be married before she goes to college, before she gets the master's degree, before she travels, before she gets the PhD. Because it will be easier for her to find a good mate that is doing better than her, that can uplift her lifestyle and not one that she has to squeeze into, confine herself to his lifestyle after being successful. One that she can respect as a man, one that will be able to take care of her. Because if she's 18 or so and she's getting married to someone who's around 25, he should have some educational success, some career success by that time. And so she'll, they'll more comfortably fall into traditional roles of the man being the leader and her being able to be okay with that leadership. But if you are like me or like many other women who went out and got your master's degree. Now, I, fortunately, I never really worked. So I didn't come into my marriage with, oh, I've been making $80,000 a year, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, it was easier for me to be able to see my husband as a leader. But still, it, it is a difficulty because when you're used to being on your own to some degree, Again, I would say I'm, I'm slightly fortunate because I lived on my own for about two or so years, but I mostly lived at home with my parents before marriage. Um, but I think that for a lot of women, if you're used to being on your own, if you're used to making a lot of money, or at least a significant amount of money, if you're used to being able to travel, doing what you want to do when you want to do it, it is going to be very difficult to then get married and have a man and let him take the leadership role in your life. Now you may be thinking, oh, well, I don't need someone to lead me. I want an equal partnership. 
you may think that, but when you get into a marriage, you may find that you want what? Because what do we women mean when we say we want a man who's a man? We mean we want someone who is a leader, not someone who's going to boss us around. No, but we want someone who is a leader. So if you're always used to leading yourself, it can be difficult to then submit yourself to a man's leadership. But then you may also find yourself frustrated because he's not a leader. So you have more of these complications. So for myself, for the solution, at least for the next generation, I would want my daughter just to get married younger so she can find a man, she can respect, she can love, she can uh, be happy with his leadership and his manhood because she hasn't gone to those heights of success in her life yet and she can grow with him and they can grow together. And for us as women, we just have to make that difficult choice. Either we try to respect him as a leader and find other qualities within him that we can respect as a leader outside of money, or we live within his means and that makes it easier to find him as a leader. But it's not its not an easy thing. The last thing I wanted to talk about was fatherhood. And unfortunately in our culture we've really degraded fatherhood and so in our in our own personal lives we have to just remember to tell our husbands and our fathers how valuable they are in our lives and it really is that simple fathers are not throwaways fathers are not even if you're a woman who's not married to the married to the father of your child you still need to make sure that he knows he's valuable in your children's life and that they know he's valuable in in their life. Men are not throwaways. They're not unimportant. And unfortunately, the, the blessing of being married is that you can more easily see that. But unfortunately, so many people are having children out of wedlock that they can't as easily see the benefits of a father in their children's lives but you have to you have to learn the value and part of learning the value is to learn the differences between men and women and to realize that men have something unique to offer and women have something unique to offer and that we need each other and we have to get out of this competitive role that unfortunately we've gotten into at work and to be able to let that go and to let men into our lives as distinctly valuable because again men need to be needed and we have to realize that it's not just about wanting him men need to feel needed so he needs to know that he's needed as a father he's needed as a husband and then we will begin to see men step up in their roles so that's pretty much all I wanted to say again this topic today was do we ever consider the cost to men If you have any thoughts, please let me know. Info at nerdynight.com. Thank you for listening. Take care.